Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 609 for the 9th of September, 2018. This week, those who have Microsoft's Office suite almost always use Word and Excel. PowerPoint and Outlook are lower on the usage scale, access lower still. And then there's OneNote, an application that gets far less attention than it should. So I'll explain why it's been indispensable for me for more than a decade. In short circuits, user access control alerts can be bothersome. They can be disabled, but doing so can make your computer less safe. This week, a caller told me that my computer was being attacked and that failing to act could make it obsolete. I yawned and then hung up. Microsoft has made some changes to Office 365 licensing. The already liberal policies have been even further relaxed. In spare parts, only on the website, if you want to announce a security breach in a way that few will notice, the best time is Saturday evening in the middle of a four-day weekend. And companies that use email marketing perform a lot of research to find out what works best. Hidden persuaders can be pretty powerful. OneNote has been a Microsoft offering for a long time. I first wrote extensively about it in 2010, but it's been around for a lot longer. Announced in 2002, it became generally available in 2003, but it wasn't included in the Office suite and had to be purchased separately. After using this application for a day or two, you might find it indispensable. Its closest competitor is Evernote, which I've never been able to like, despite several attempts. Google's Keep application is probably the best free alternative, but if you're already using the Office suite by Microsoft, you already have OneNote, so why not use it? OneNote is also available for phones and tablets, both iOS and Android. Even if you don't use the Office suite, you can download a free version for mobile phones. It is, however, limited to 500 notes. In the early days, OneNote required Groove to synchronize content across computers. Now, everything synchronizes properly via a Microsoft Outlook account, and that, by the way, is the recommended option for logging on to Windows 10, so it becomes completely automatic. I use OneNote to store information about books that I want to read or am in the process of reading, about hardware and software settings, about doctors and prescriptions, about potential topics for TechBiter worldwide, and since 2011 to maintain status information about past and upcoming programs. OneNote users create notebooks. I have a personal notebook, one for TechBiter, another for hardware and software, and one for client projects. Each notebook contains tabs. In the TechBiter notebook, I have tabs for configuration settings, program planning, notes for upcoming topics, and things like that. Each of the tabs contains pages. My program planning tab has pages for each year, design notes, and some contain information about uncommonly complex subjects that I'm contemplating. 
The program planning page contains a table with one row for each weekly program. There are also sections for temporary notes, URLs, and random thoughts outside the table. Now, and pages can also have sub-pages. That's a function I use occasionally, and here's one example. My personal notebook has a miscellaneous tab, and that tab has a reading challenge page that I set up several years ago. That was when my wife challenged me and several other people to an ambitious year-long reading exercise. Since then, I've started reading a lot of series books. Many of them are police procedurals. So I have a sub-page for each author, and the sub-page lists the author's books, along with information about whether I've read the book yet. And there's autosave. The autosave function wasn't invented for OneNote, but it was one of the first programs to take advantage of that technology. You never have to save anything. Changes were saved immediately and automatically. But even after using the program for a decade, I still occasionally press Control-S, even though it really doesn't do anything. One of the features that differentiates OneNote from Evernote is the ability to format text. Now, it's not Word or even Excel, but the formatting capabilities are more than adequate for its intended purpose. It's perfect for jotting down notes using the keyboard, a camera, either still or video, or the stylus. You can copy and paste information from emails, websites, documents of all sorts as reminders of important information. There are also tags. More about those in a moment. I don't use it much, but OneNote does have a snipping tool that lets users select an area on the screen and then send the image to a specific page without even having to open OneNote. Another option involves the virtual OneNote printer that allows printing directly to OneNote from any application that can print. That's almost anything. Importing files into OneNote is also an option, or using the Web Clipper extension for Chrome, Firefox, or Edge. So getting information into OneNote is never a problem. That's also true for Evernote, by the way. The real power comes from the application's ability to find what you're looking for. Control-F, the old find operation, limits the operation to the current page. A far more powerful option is Control-E, which searches all pages in all tabs of all notebooks. The result will be a list of pages that contain the term you're looking for, and clicking any of those links will take you to the listed page. Images pasted into OneNote are automatically analyzed for text, so it's possible to search for text in an image or a printout. If you need the text from an image, just right-click the image and choose Copy Text from Picture. This also applies, by the way, to handwriting. Any item in OneNote can have one or more associated tags. All tags can be defined by the user, and the first nine tags can be applied from the keyboard using Control-1 through Control-9. I have Pending, Research, In Progress, Question, Complete, Important, Contact, Address, and Phone Numbers as the first nine tags. In defining a tag, the user establishes the name, a symbol to display, the color of the text, and a highlight color. And now here's my warning. As good as OneNote is, there is one task it is not suited for, maintaining a list of passwords. OneNote does allow users to password protect files, but password protection on Office Suite applications really offers little more than the illusion of security. Think of it as a plastic lock on a cardboard door.
for passwords and any other information that really needs to remain secure, you need a password manager, like LastPass. I've talked about it before. But for retaining, organizing, and locating just about any other kind of information, OneNote is ideal. So the bottom line here is five cats. Office Suite users shouldn't ignore OneNote, the information organizer that's already right there on their computer. No matter what information you want to store or how you want to organize it, OneNote is an excellent choice, particularly for those who already use the Office Suite or Office 365. With web access and apps for iOS and Android devices, OneNote is available almost everywhere. You'll find additional details on the Microsoft website. There is a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. In short circuits, are you annoyed by user access control pop-ups? Windows 10 tries to protect users by displaying a warning when it determines that a program is being installed or an important setting is being changed. The desktop dims and then the warning pops up. How quickly that warning appears depends on the speed of the computer. That annoys some people. It is possible to change the behavior, but the underlying question here is, should I change the behavior? No matter how careful the user, it's always possible to make a mistake. User access control warnings are the final safeguard. I'm relatively careful, but I still leave the UAC warnings set to their highest level. There are four levels. At least there are four levels if you're an administrator. So as a user with administrator privileges, I can choose Always Notify Me, this option pops up the UAC dialog when either the user or an app tries to install software or make changes to the system. Second option, notify me only when apps try to make changes to my computer. No warning will be issued if the user initiates the change. Otherwise, it warns if an application attempts to install software or make changes to the system. Third option, notify me only when apps try to make changes to my computer and do not dim the desktop. Now, this is similar to the previous setting, except that you'll still have access to the desktop while the UAC warning is displayed. Some people like that. The fourth option, never notify me. That option disables UAC completely on Windows 10. Users with standard accounts will see all four options, but they can choose only two of them. Always notify me, the default option for every standard user account. It pops up the UAC dialog when apps try to install software or make changes to the system and when the user tries to change settings. Second option that a standard user can select, always notify me and do not dim my desktop. Using that option notifies the user when apps try to make changes but allows access to the desktop while UAC warnings are displayed. In other words, standard users don't get access to the more dangerous settings. And if after considering the dangers of downgrading the settings, you decide you want to proceed, well, here's how to do it. You'll find complete information on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Just press the Windows key and X to display a special menu and then choose Settings, or use whatever your preferred method of opening the Settings panel is, and type UAC in the search field and click Change User Account Control Settings. 
Select your preferred setting, keeping in mind that lowering the setting will potentially reduce the protection Windows provides, and then close the control panel. Although these warnings can be annoying and they do interrupt the user's workflow, they also serve as a very strong barrier against accidental or malicious changes that can be even more time-consuming, will severely interrupt the workflow, and might result in lost data. User beware. And speaking of beware, I received a call the other day that told me someone was trying to hijack my computer to steal my personal information. The call used a speech synthesizer, and it was clearly a fraudulent call, so I yawned and hung up. Listen to it. Judge for yourself. It seems to be someone is trying to hijack your computer and try to steal your personal information. If it's not fixed right away, then your computer will become obsolete and all of your credential information may got compromised. If you are the one who is using Microsoft Windows in your computer, then please call 718-355-8226 or press 1 now to speak with security team now. Please ignore if we called you by mistake. Thanks. Why is this obviously a fraudulent call? Well, let's start with the voice synthesis and why somebody might choose to use that method instead of recording an audio track of their own. The most common reason is that the creator of the message doesn't speak English well and might not speak English at all. Also, the message has obvious wording errors. For example, if it's not fixed right away, then your computer will become obsolete. That's the wrong word, one that was probably suggested by an automatic translation application. The message creator didn't know enough about English to correct it. Third, the message also warns that, and I quote here, all of your credential information may got compromised. That's another clear indication the creator of the message has a minimal knowledge of English. The caller is never identified. It's just a security team. Now, if a call like this reached an office worker at a large company, security team might be misinterpreted as an internal message from the IT department. In that case, the phone number itself should be a clue. The 718 area code is used in a small part of Manhattan, the Bronx, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Not a real hub of computer support. But beyond that, if you research the number to call, which is 718-355-8226, using a service like Who Calls Me, or Find Who Calls You, or Should I Answer, it will be immediately obvious that the number has a very high negative rating. But the number one reason that this is clearly a fraudulent call eliminates the need for any of those considerations or research, and here it is. There is no way for any outside organization to know that your computer is under attack, and no reputable organization would ever make a call like that. Microsoft charges $100 per year for Office 365, which includes computer-based applications for Windows and Mac OS, online apps, 
and mobile apps for iOS and Android devices. Currently, there is an installation limit, but that will disappear in October. And even now, it's not much of a limit. Ten devices in total. Few people have more than ten devices. But there are other changes coming, too. Microsoft's tech community blog says that as of Tuesday, October 2nd, Office 365 home users will no longer have any limits. The personal version will see the same upgrade, and that's more significant because previously personal users were limited to one PC or Mac and one tablet. The more significant change affects the number of users. A single Office 365 license can currently be used by five users. That will increase to six in October. Each user also has access to one terabyte of online OneDrive storage, so the extra would be a plus for somebody with a large family. And Microsoft says that each of the licensed users will be able to log on concurrently from five devices. So a single $100 annual license could allow 30 devices if each of the six users had five simultaneous connections. Does that perhaps rate a wow? Well, you could use one of your connections to connect to the TechBiter Worldwide website where you would find spare parts. In fact, that's the only place you'll find it, right there on the website. This week, if you want to announce a security breach in a way that few people will notice, the best time is Saturday evening in the middle of a four-day weekend. And companies that use email marketing perform a lot of research to find out what works best. Hidden persuaders can be powerful. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.